Colossians 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for these people that you have brought to this place. And most of them know Christ, but there may be some here who do not. We ask that you would reveal the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ to all of us this morning. We need to be filled with the knowledge of your will. We need wisdom and understanding from the Spirit as we look at this passage. So use it to teach us to walk in a manner worthy of you, that pleases you, and bears fruit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, your beloved Son and the Savior of sinners. Amen. If you look at Romans 1, verses 18 and following, you see a very disturbing thing happens. They exchanged truth for a lie. They moved away from the worship of the Creator and Redeemer and began to worship just about anything else but Him. It says there in Romans 1 that though they thought they were wise, though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. People look for wisdom, essentially, in all the wrong places. Not only do we look for love in all the wrong places, we often look for wisdom in all the wrong places. We're fools, and so we don't recognize true wisdom when we see it. If you go on Amazon, click on books, and put in the word wisdom, what you will find is a glaring lack of wisdom, even though there are hundreds of pages of books purporting to be about wisdom. Those books will point you to Confucius. They'll point you to Buddha. They'll point you... Everywhere, it seems anyway, but to Christ himself. My favorite title was this, The Wisdom of Psychopaths. What saints, spies, and serial killers can teach us about success. I'm not really sure what a serial killer can teach us about success, but... This is just representative, so to speak, of claiming to be wise. They have become fools. Paul and Timothy recognized that the church in Colossae needed wisdom. 
And they're going to point that church in a particular direction. And they're going to pray for that church that they would receive that which they need. Our big idea this morning is that Christ gives us wisdom to lead a God-pleasing life. Let's begin with the notion that Christ fills us with necessary wisdom through the Word. It's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? But Christ fills us with necessary wisdom through the Word. Paul and Timothy have been giving thanks to God for the people in Colossae who have come to faith. They're thankful for their faith. They're thankful to God for the love that they have shown the saints because of the hope that they have in heaven. And so he, he now, they now move on to identify three big ongoing needs for this congregation. Needs that I think we share with them. Now, when they read this, they may not have agreed. They may have wondered, why is he praying for that? We need something else. But Paul and Timothy, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, know precisely what this church needs. And so they pray for these three things, and we're only going to look at one of them today. We're going to come back to this passage for two more weeks. So that it's not a typo when you see sermon text next week, and it's the same as this week. It's not a mistake. It is the truth. Because each of these, I think, warrants its own time so that we can understand what's going on instead of just rushing through. So we begin with wisdom. But each of these requests (coughs) essentially centers on an idea called fullness. Throughout this not just this passage, but throughout this letter, there's an emphasis on this idea of fullness. And one of the problems that was plaguing the church in Colossae was that <clears throat> there were people who had come there and it began to say that there was fullness to be available to them because the gospel did not f- make them full. That there was something, there were various things that they needed to add on to Jesus in order to be full. And Paul is saying they've got it completely wrong. That the fullness that they need is actually going to be found in Christ and in the gospel alone. Not with all of the other things that these men, these false teachers, were trying to tack on. Fullness. And so he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul and Timothy want them to be filled too. They do not want them to be empty. They do not want them to be half full, partially full, even mostly full. They want them filled, but not in the same way. Not with the same thing. They want them filled First, with the knowledge of his, referring to Christ's will. They want them to know what Christ wants for them. What does Christ want? For them to know how to live in this world. The world which he made, which we have corrupted. He wants them to understand how this world works and how, how we are to live in the midst of it. And this, this knowledge that of His will is going to come in or through 
all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We do not have the knowledge of His will apart from spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom. What is wisdom? I've talked about it a lot and I haven't actually mentioned what it is. It can probably best be summarized as the best means to the best ends. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But it gets complicated in this world. It's complicated uh, by the fact of our sin. But we have to live in a way that, that keeps in mind how this world was made. The realities of this world. So that we're living in harmony with God and with His creation. And so it's very important that we have wisdom to understand the best means to the best ends. It is to know how to use information. Okay, wisdom is not a guy on the top of a mountain going, oh, okay. We, you know, it's not, it's not being smart. Wisdom is about doing things, taking the available information and knowing what the best end result is and how the best way to get to that end result. And so biblical wisdom is a very practical wisdom about how to live in this world, about what to do with time, what to do with money, what to do with relationships, what kind of spouse to look for. These are very practical things. God gave a whole book of wisdom, Proverbs, to the young men of Israel so that they would understand these very things. And we read from the beginning of that, and we'll notice some of the things, that, you know, wisdom, and part of, part of what happens with wisdom is that it makes us righteous. People who live righteously in accordance with God's standards, who live in a way that benefits other human beings and not just self. Spiritual wisdom. Also, spiritual understanding. Understanding is largely about the circumstances in which we must make the choices we make. It's having a clue about the, the circumstances, the, the conditions in which you are making that decision, knowing what's going on around you. Now, both the wisdom and this understanding come through the Spirit. Okay, That's the idea of spiritual wisdom. It's, it's referring to this is a function of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to fill us with these things. And we only have the Spirit if first we have Christ. We're going to go even deeper than that. We're going to bring up things like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says that Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. Not only that, but later on in this letter to the Colossians, Paul says, Christ in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so when Paul is praying they would be filled with this, with, with the knowledge of God and through spiritual wisdom, what he's saying is, I want you to be filled with Christ. Because He is the one who has all the wisdom of God. 
He's not saying, I want you to read all the encyclopedias. He's saying, I want you in a relationship with Christ that continues to grow. The Spirit, which gives us wisdom and understanding, is the one who inspired and illuminates the Word of God. In other words, He helps us to understand the Word that we, as we read it, but also how to apply the Word as we read it. So it's not just uh, you know something that was spoken to, say, the Colossians, but we see that we understand what it meant for the Colossians, but also the Spirit works so that we see, yeah, I need to understand and apply that too, because I lack wisdom, for instance. I have sins that must be put to death. So the Spirit works primarily through the Word of God so that we have the necessary wisdom that we need. Because without, as we're going to see later on, without wisdom, there is no sanctification. There is no growth in becoming like Christ. We're just like ships floating on the ocean, wherever the wind and the waves will take us. And so we're being filled with Christ, not just information. This is what leads Anthony Savaggio to say, that um, Jesus is the one who lived wisdom, the one who is wisdom, the one who is the way of wisdom, and the one who supplies wisdom. And so Paul does one more thing at the end of this passage, so they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. We discover, in light of all of this, that knowing God is practical. It's not something abstract. It's intended to be something practical. Now, the Colossians knew God. Well, it's as if they didn't know Him at all, but there would be an increase in their knowledge about God. That they would come to understand God better than they did at this point in time. It's sort of like marriage. When I got married... I knew Amy. Five years after marriage, I knew Amy better. Ten years into marriage, I know Amy even better. Forty years in, I'll know her far better than I know her now. And so the Colossians had a true and real knowledge of God, but they did not have as much knowledge at their conversion, as they had at this, at the point this letter is written, and they're not going to have as much then as they will in the future. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, so they're going to grow through the knowledge of God, uh, sorry, in the knowledge of God, but through, and here's the interesting part, Remember we, in our confession of faith this morning, we talked about making use of the um, ordinary means. Paul is making use of an ordinary means. He's praying that knowledge into them, so to speak. Let us not underestimate the power of prayer for other people and for ourselves. If you want wisdom 
pray for wisdom and go to the Scriptures. Okay? And so in a world filled with foolishness, Christ fills His people with wisdom through the Word. Which brings us to the second point I want this morning, is that Christ fills us with wisdom to live in a way that pleases Him. Paul and Timothy want them to understand why Christ gives them wisdom as He gives them Himself. There's a purpose clause in here. In order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You see, people apart from Christ, people in a fallen condition, normal people that you meet on the street every day, they lack real wisdom, and that lack of wisdom leads them into greater and greater sin. They walk, they live in a manner that is apart from God, alienated from God, and they're essentially enemies with God because of their evil behavior, as the Scripture says in numerous places, and we'll get to one of those later on here in Colossians. So their lack of wisdom leads to an increase in sin. But Jesus, who redeemed us, begins to instruct us in how to live, in how to put aside sin. And so part of wisdom is to grow in our Christ-likeness, to grow in our sanctification, to be putting off sin and putting on righteousness. From Proverbs 3, one of my favorite passages, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so, <coughs> real wisdom includes this idea of turning away from evil and turning to God. Because that's why it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear and faith. We have no wisdom unless we trust in the Lord. We have no wisdom unless we have a, a reverence for Him, a fear of Him <clears throat> in a proper way. And then, and so that is the person who trusts, who acknowledges, and God is the one who makes their path straight. In other words, He keeps them from, go, you know, sometimes I feel like a fool when I'm at home because I can't remember what I went upstairs to get. And so you go up the stairs like five times. That's, that's the worldly wise person, okay? Um, <clears throat> so that's what it looks like. I'm not saying I'm worldly wise. But the person who doesn't really know what they're there for, the person who goes into Walmart and just kind of wanders about aimlessly, wondering what they need, as opposed to a person perhaps who comes with a list. Okay? I'm to the point now with my iPhone. I, I, I discovered my note section. I was going to go to Walmart the other day. I made myself a list on my phone. I don't have to worry about losing that slip of paper somewhere. Okay? Got on my phone. We go in with a purpose. We go. We get it. We go. We leave. We don't just kind of wander around. Why am I? What what does I need again? The person without the fear of the Lord is like someone who's just wandering in the wilderness. They don't know where they're going to end up. They might enjoy a few things along the way, but they might get hurt too. He fills us in, 
with wisdom so that we will walk in accordance with our new identity in Christ. We begin to live out who we are in Christ. We have to recognize, however, that our default mode apart from grace is to live selfish lives that ultimately dishonor Him. That's, that's really the problem with the world is the selfishness that produces so much sin. That's why Calvin notes that we must, above all things, take heed that we regulate our whole course of life according to the will of God. And here's the important thing. Renouncing our own understanding, just as it said in Proverbs 3, be not wise in your own eyes, and bidding farewell to all the inclinations of our flesh. He's saying that your sinful nature will lead you in the wrong direction nine times out of ten. And the tenth time, it may bring you in the right direction, but for the wrong reasons. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in keeping with who He has made us in His Son. And then there's this amazing phrase, fully pleasing to Him. Jesus wants us to please God with our lifestyle. Interesting, isn't it? Without faith, it is impossible to please God, it says in Hebrews. And so faith is essential to wisdom, which is why the first couple chapters of Proverbs are calling people to faith in God. So faith is essential not just to wisdom, but to pleasing God. It is faith which keeps us on the road of wisdom. Now, many of us have a a right doctrine of humanity in the sense of recognizing that we are radically depraved, that that we sin. That's sort of, apart from Christ, that is our default mode. We cannot do anything good toward our salvation apart from the grace of God. But sometimes we, we kind of buy into the worm theology that leads us to deny what Paul is saying here, that we can fully please God. We have to submit ourselves to the Scriptures and recognize that there are times when we please Him. Not just that is that there are times, but it is possible to please God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Fully pleasing to Him. Many of us sometimes live believing we can't please God or we don't please God at all. Paul didn't think that way. And neither should we. Fully pleasing. Doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean that we're going to become perfect in this life. But it means that the Father is pleased as we grow and as we mature. Those of you who are are parents understand this. You have pictures, or at one point you had pictures on your refrigerator. Rembrandt. They were not. 
but your kid did them. And what you're pleased with is the progress that your child makes. The pictures we put up now, or that I have in my office now, are far improved over the pictures that were there a few years ago. It's like that. The Father isn't just looking at the absolute, but He's also looking at from whence you have come. The progress that you are making. The, the, the progress that actually His grace is making in you. And so, <clears throat> when we think about pleasing God, we must get rid of that mind of the perfectionistic Father. Who, you know, man, there's nothing you can do that's good enough. And you have to put in mind the father who delights in every step in the right direction that his children make. That's the picture that Paul is trying to paint for us right here. That we grow and mature, and that pleases the father. And so we see that wisdom is essential to sanctification. Without wisdom, we stay in the patterns of sin that have plagued us all our lives. We maintain the empty way of life that Peter says we inherited from our forefathers. But Christ comes to change all that. And so Christ fills us with wisdom so that we bear fruit. Again, this image of bearing things, this tree that is growing, and then there's fruit that can be enjoyed and partaken of. Not only is, is it wise to put sin off so that we obey, obey more consistently, but we also receive wisdom in order to do good. Bearing fruit in every good work. He's pleased when we do good things to other people. We are not accepted by God because of our good works. Our good works follow and flow out of our acceptance with God. We do not (coughs) become good people that we can gain God's love, but because we have God's love, we become good people. Very different mindsets. Jesus, when he was filled by the Spirit in Luke 4, proclaimed good news, did good deeds. He quoted from Isaiah 7, setting prisoners free. Under the power of the Spirit, he did good to the people that he encountered. And it is because of our vital union with Christ that we will also do good works because he is at work in us to produce these good works that bring glory to God. And so good works are the fruit produced by a lively faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that whole idea that we see in James chapter 2. A lively faith produces good works. And so when we do good works, we are bearing, not just that, but we're also bearing the family name well. Because God is the one who did good. And so wisdom, as we see, (coughs) all through Proverbs, 
produces not selfishness. That's the worldly wisdom that produces selfishness. The whole problem that Paul was confronting in the Colossian, sorry, the, the Corinthian church. But wisdom produces sacrificial love that begins to meet needs of all kinds. And, and I don't want you, when you hear good works, to just limit that to like charity. Okay? It's far more expansive than that. For instance, later on in this letter that we're reading, uh, Paul and Timothy write, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, again, we see that connection. The word of Christ, wisdom. Okay, what does the word of Christ uh, happen when it dwells in us richly or fully? They begin to teach and admonish one another with wisdom. And so some of the good works are teaching, admonishing, or rebuking. And so it's, it's far wider than just you seeing a guy on the street who's homeless and giving him $5. It's, it's, it's the, the good works that are here are, are far greater, and that's implied as well in the first chapter of Proverbs, with that focus on righteousness. And so... <coughs> the, the good works that the fruit that we bear is uh, far wider than just doing good to people. Uh, sorry, you know, charity. But Christ gives us wisdom to recognize opportunities to do good to others. For instance, it was uh, 1990, I think it was. I think it was during the, the Bush 41 recession, which kind of hit New England really bad because there were a lot of defense industry uh, jobs up there that, that were kind of lost as the defense industry shrank a little bit, um, my dad's being one of them. But I remember uh, being at church in New Hampshire, and I was just sitting there minding my own business, and you know what happens in church. You hear other people talking. And there was this family that I didn't know, and they were talking to someone else, and uh, someone had lost their job, and things were difficult. And I just sat there and listened. And I caught the names. And so, you know, I ended up talking with my girlfriend at the time. And the two of us decided that what we, what we should do is that this was an opportunity to show love to our brother and sister in Christ. And so we went shopping. And we bought food and showed up at their doorstep. And it encouraged them. Because it reminded them that God takes care of his people. And so I had the wisdom to recognize that this is an opportunity. And we had the wisdom to figure out the best way to try and to do good to them. I mean, I, wasn't, I didn't have the power to hire anybody. Okay, so I couldn't give a job to somebody. And uh, I didn't want to just kind of say, well, you know where the work center is? There was a tangible need. They, they had talked about how they, they, they were running out of food. Tangible way of doing, of loving them <coughs> in that instance. And so Christ gives us wisdom to recognize and act upon these things when we can. He also gives us wisdom to know how best to meet their needs. Good intentions are not enough in some senses. We can often uh, do harm 
when we connect our good intentions with a lack of wisdom. As I thought about this the other day, I wanted to give a warning as well. To beware of people who are generous with other people's stuff, but not their own. If they're generous with other people's stuff and their own, that's good. But just other people's stuff? And that stuff is, that's a very vague term now, isn't it? Sufficiently vague. Because if they're telling, if they're, if they're very generous with your time, but they're not generous with their own time, watch out. If they're um, generous with your food, but not their own food, watch out. If I were to teach the practice of hospitality to you, which I do, but I were to invite you to my house, while I enjoyed a nice flank steak, you had bread and water. I'm not being generous with my stuff. Don't listen to me. If that's the case. If I'm telling you to be generous with your money and I'm not generous with my money, don't listen to me. I'm a hypocrite. There are lots of people who talk about how everyone should do good, but they themselves don't do good. We see here that Christ did good. We see that Paul, because of the power of the Spirit, did good. We see that the Colossians already were doing good because he'd already thanked God for their love toward the saints. And yet, Paul says, they can bear even more fruit. There's also a warning there <clears throat> to not be not to be satisfied with your present Christian experience. So to to not go. <clears throat> so on the one hand, some people are, never realize they can please God. There's some people who realize um, I've gone far enough, or who think I've gone far enough, and they become complacent, and they don't grow. And actually, it's not like we actually stay. Somewhere, um, we're more like um, a boat on a river. Either you're going to go where the, t- the, you know, the current brings you, or you're going to go upstream by exerting power. You don't just stand still. There's no anchor you can sink in your Christian life, so you stay in one spot. Okay? But when, when we become complacent, when, we, when we're satisfied with the progress we've made in our Christian life... We, we stop rowing, so to speak, and we start going back. What Paul is praying for them is that they would continue forward. 
not go, hey, you know, Paul thanked God for us. Aren't we awesome? But to say, Paul also prayed for us that we keep moving. Christ isn't done with us yet. We're thankful for all that he's already done. And we anticipate and long for that which he has not yet done. So, those are the two words of warning I think I have from this text. Our world is in desperate need for wisdom. The church is too. The church gets distracted by all kinds of worldly wisdom. If you don't believe it, go into a Christian bookstore sometime. Paul and Timothy wanted the Colossians to know it was available, and available in full measure through Christ. The wisdom of God is available to us as we trust Christ and depend on the Spirit as we read the Word. And so this wisdom enables us to know how to walk with God, how to please God. This wisdom teaches us how to do good to other people. And so Christ fills us with wisdom to make choices and live a lifestyle that honors him. So, you know, it's not about how smart you are. It's about who you listen to. Who do you seek wisdom from? Let's pray. Father, I hope that made sense. My own mind is a jumble this morning. May your spirit be at work to help your people understand the word. To see their own continuing need for wisdom. That they might be thankful for how far they have come by your grace, but also have a longing for where you want to bring them by your grace. And how Christ is the only one through his wisdom that will get them there. We ask this in his name. (coughs) Amen.